0: Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ we pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging thank you for listening so as you see the the text this morning if if you have children and and i've tried to to hit the families with children just to to kind of warn them what the text was about um it is uh paul doesn't mince words here um He's going right at it, and we're going to go, therefore, right at it today as well. Um, but before we get into to the text today, I, I think it's really helpful to, to hear it in the overall body of Paul's letter, because Paul's not, you know, he's not just writing proverbial statements that can be taken as one sentence it's all in the entire scope of of a letter and a letter to a church and a letter to churches and if you remember chapters one through three were all about what god has done for the believer and and there wasn't there was only one command in that section and the command was to remember what god has done remember where we were Um, Chapter 4 is a pivot and again you've heard me say this but I just we we got to set up the text today. It's a pivot and he begins talking about unity in the church. And then he begins talking about okay, the path to that unity is actually raising the bar and seeking knowledge of Christ together as a body. And then 2 weeks ago he he talks about okay, and again, in the context of unity he's saying you need to put off the old man or the old self and put on the new self after the likeness of God. Last week, he, he kind of unpacked a little more what that looks like. He basically said, stop being a lying, murderous thief, right? Last week, he just went, he, he's going right at it. He's going right at our old nature, And again, this is within the context of unity in the church. These are things that actually create disunity and disrupt unity. So that brings us up to this text today. And again, I want you to hear it in the context of that. Putting off the old, putting on the new, but maintaining the unity of the body. All right, here we go. Ephesians 5, 1 to 4. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So Paul is going to give us a positive command and a negative command. The positive command, he's saying, be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Again, this goes back to to Adam's sermon in Philippians 2. Not demanding our rights, but thinking of others is more important than ourselves. And Paul is going to contrast that spirit with sexual immorality. So we're going to look at that. But first, we just got to remember how did Christ love us? Well, he, he gave himself for us. This is going to be talked about in two weeks. To husbands, how to love our wives. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. How do we love our wives? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we're going to go into that in two weeks in depth. We're actually going to look at in 2 weeks why marriage is so important and why the church needs to hold it up and why any attack on it within the church, outside of the way God designed it is not a good thing and is actually an attack on the gospel itself. That's in in 2 weeks, but for now we're going to look at this verse. So so Paul again he's contrasting self-sacrifice with self-indulgence. And he's got three words here in the text. Sexual immorality, which is the word porneia, the Greek word porneia, which is where we get our word pornography from, impurity and covetousness. And I want you to see today that all three of these words are a constellation of thinking around sexual immorality. The word impurity has tones of sexual immorality, and the way that Paul is using covetousness here is in regards to sexual immorality. This whole passage today is around sexual immorality. Um, I've got a quote here from John Stott. This may be helpful to you. He says that the Greek words for fornication and impurity together cover every kind of sexual sin. In other words, all sexual intercourse outside its God-ordained context of a loving marriage. To them, Paul adds covetousness, surely because it is an especially degrading form of it, namely the coveting of someone else's body for selfish gratification. The Tenth tenth Commandment had specifically prohibited coveting a neighbor's wife. So all forms of sexual immorality, he writes, must not even be named among you. So completely are they to be banished from Christian community. This was a high and holy standard to demand for immorality was rife in Asia. And brothers and sisters, immorality is rife today. And the church and the churches are being influenced by it. They're being influenced by the culture here. I'm going to make a statement here. These these are my words and... You can, you may take issue with it, you may not. It's a bit hyperbole, but I believe it's true. <laughs> Sexual immorality is the most serious sin a Christian can be tangled up in. Now you might be thinking, what about murder? And okay, let's, I, I get that. Sexual immorality is a baseline foundational sin that clouds everything else you do if you are walking in sexual immorality not actively fighting against it but with your life and your actions saying I do not care I will do this it doesn't matter what God says then hear me if that's you you are in serious danger serious danger And you may ask, how serious, pastor? Here's another statement. This is from me. If you claim Christ and you're walking in sexual immorality, you should question whether you know Christ. You should question your salvation. You might be thinking, pastor, that's... That, that is crazy. I thought we were saved by grace. I didn't think we were saved by works. And I would just say, hold on for a moment. Let's go to Ephesians 5.5. 5. Paul's words, not mine. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's how serious this is. The wisdom of God made known that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3 saying the powers and the principalities of darkness will, will be known by the church. Guess what? When the church is like the world and we are just as sexually impure and immoral, that is not being shown in any way to the world, to the powers and principalities as well. And you might, again, be thinking, what are you talking about? It sounds like you're, you're preaching salvation by works. And I would just say, no, I'm not. This is how the Bible talks to believers. If you read the whole book of James, it talks about faith and works. If you say you have faith, but you don't have works, what kind of works do you think that, they're th- that James is talking about there? Well, he's talking about a lot of works. But one work is to be pure. Sexually pure. You can open doors for the elderly. You can rake leaves for your neighbor. You can do all of that. And I would say none of it matters if you can't get this part of your walk under control. None of it matters. I want to show you that as I talk about the seriousness of this sin and in, in our lives as believers, that it's not just me. There are lots of texts in the Bible that are going to talk about how sexual immorality is a different type of sin. It is set apart in a way. Now, if people some, some of you are very like black and white thinkers, and you might be thinking, well, all sin separates us from God. Yes, and amen. Yes. However, there are certain sins, and you can read Jesus's words in the gospel, that are more. They're darker, they have greater consequences, and they blind us. And this is one of them. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. take a moment with that text just to talk to the children in, in the room. Kids, you guys are growing up in a time, in a place that, that those of us 40 and older know nothing about. You're being told that your actual identity is your sexual feelings. That your actual desires are who you are. And the Bible emphatically says that is not true. And we see it right here. And such were, were some of you. If you know Christ, you were that, you are that. No more, like Paul says in Ephesians, then walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And brothers and sisters, it starts with sexual immorality. It, it starts there. You have faith. Okay, begin here. Begin here. So again, I, I would ask you, and I, I know this is a bit of a heavy sermon, but this, these are Paul's words and his text is heavy, but have you ever considered this? Is this the first time that you're you're hearing the the seriousness of sexual sin? Paul goes on to say in in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Brothers and sisters, there's something in this sin that is so insidious that creeps in every area of your walk that darkens and clouds God's word that separates you from God's people that breaks your communion with Christ, not your union, but your communion. It is a tragic sin that eats at your faith and slowly slowly puts you to sleep. Slowly, slowly puts you to sleep. There's one instance in the Bible of somebody being excommunicated from a church, and we're not going to read it, but it is a sexual sin. Okay? Um, it is important. In fact, Paul talks about that that can work its way through the dough. It's not good for the body. It does not befit a child of God. You know, often in in talking to Christians, um, and and I ask this question myself, uh, we all want to know, what is God's will for my life, right? We all want to know, should I take this job? Should I go here? Should I marry this person? Should I do this? You you know, it's kind of, Like We we want God to, to light our path, and rightfully so. It is good that we want to know God's will for our life. But let us again look at Paul's words here in 1 Thessalonians. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, again, he's equating lust and sexual immorality with not knowing the Lord, just like he's doing in Ephesians. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has called you to a high, high calling. We're to walk in a manner consistent with the greatness and the weight of that calling, and it begins with our bodies. It begins with how we view other people, in our own bodies. Actually, if you you think about it for a moment, human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. The highest created thing that that he made human beings. Of course, in our idolatrous, sinful nature, we're going to be tempted Into idolatry with human beings who are made into the image, or made in the image and likeness of God. It is, it makes sense why we go so wrong here. Um, And that's why you see idolatry in these texts with sexual immorality, because ultimately sexual immorality is idolatry. It is idolatry. All right, let's, let's continue here. Ephesians 5, 6, Paul goes on in, in our text today. And this is an especially strong word for today. And I, and I say this to brothers and sisters of Vintage Faith Church. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the son's of disobedience. Again, how serious is sexual immorality? Paul is saying the wrath of God is coming because of it. Is this new to some of you? Often we, we can read the Bible and we can, we can pick kind of what we want to hear, what sounds good, what feels good, but it's actually these kind of paragraphs and texts that will change you if you let it. If you let it, you can fight against this or you can submit and say, God, you have the very best plan for my life but Paul says here, let no one deceive you with empty words. That's the world we're living in right now. It's just a bunch of empty words about sex and sexual immorality. If, if you in any way try to stifle it, you are stifling somebody's being, their identity. Those are empty words. That is garbage. Kids, do not listen to it. The, the words that you're going to hear of following your heart are going to lead you into Destruction. It's interesting at this point in the world that I find that people don't really care or have much issue if we say we worship Jesus. They don't really care that we're meeting here on on Sunday morning. Go ahead. That's fine. Whatever you like. But if we take a stand on what marriage is and sexual immorality, they care. They care. More than likely, if if you or I or our children experience persecution, it will be around this area. And the early Christians did as well. And people can say all they want to say about marriage between a man and woman being old and traditional and crusty. But it's God's plan and it's good. In fact, just this week, there was an article published, I think it was the New York Post. And it said, it was not a long article, but the whole article was about how seemingly from surveys Married men and women who have faith have the best sex. And here's a quote from it. For good sex, turns out, you've got to have faith. People with strong religious beliefs have higher levels of sexual satisfaction, according to the new study published in the Journal of Sex Research. I would go one step further. People of faith who are obedient in keeping themselves pure, God will bless their Union. Outside of that, we're just drinking from dirty cisterns. You can drink, but it's not what it was meant to be. All right, Paul continues here. Ephesians 5, 7 to 13. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the lord and again here it is walk as children of light this is like all throughout the letter walk you're children of light walk as children of light not as children of darkness for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the lord take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Church, we, we are called to be a discerning people. When Paul says here, instead expose these Unfruitful works. You to expose something. You need to know the truth. Um, if you were here with us, we did a sermon series. What does it mean to be human? And we just went into the Bible and looked at why is what's happening in the world not right according to the to the Bible. And and that's in one sense exposing the craziness and the darkness around us. But we need to know. You are all going to be in conversations with grandchildren. Children, about all of this nonsense that's going on that is destructive and hurting children. Let's be clear it is hurting children. And if you can't talk that through and go to the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible says, and this is why it's good. And if you can't know, this is why God is good, and this is why we can trust him, and this is why we walk with him. If you don't know the answers to that, you're toast. We need to know, church. We need to know. We need to understand why God calls us to these higher purposes. And and again, in two weeks, we're going to look at marriage. And I'm going to show from the text why marriage. Paul shows that marriage is literally a picture of the gospel. Not a boyfriend and girlfriend. Not a man and a man. Not a woman and a woman. A husband and a wife is a picture of the gospel. If we can't get that right, we're not going to get anything else right. It has to. These are foundational things to the walk of the church. So I would just ask this question to, to all of us, and this is for every one of us. We're, we all fail in, in some way in this, some of us more than others. There's grace for this. You're hearing a hard message, but I want you to remember there is grace in the cross, in Christ Christ. There is grace. But here's the question. If we are going to be a light to the nations, and we are living just like the nations, how in the world can we be a light to the nations? They're going to look at our lives and say, you're no different from everyone else you're no different from the world a few years ago and you if you've been a believer for a while there was a a movement it was uh it called a lot of different things emergent church missional movement um there were some good things in that it w- it was a uh, you know evangelistic let's go out and and preach the gospel but what happened in that movement was It started pushing back against preaching. It started pushing back against, ah, you don't really need to be at church. Churches, we should be out there talking to people. started pushing back against theology. Oh, you're just puffing up. You guys are just getting kind of too smart for your own good. Are you going to be a Pharisee? Started pushing back against holiness. Ah, well, we're all sinners. Does it even matter? And... If you followed that at all, the leaders of that movement have recanted their faith. Almost all of them. The movement was an off-ramp for the faith. It was an off-ramp for the faith. We are called to something higher, church. There is a purpose to the Lord's Day gathering. There is a purpose and and we are to be out on mission and we're to be living holy lives and and stewarding every aspect of our lives. That is not legalism. That is what we are called to do. There's a a quote from Dwight Smith um, in his book, Renovation. He says this, that the church is called to spiritual maturity, to stewarding every aspect of our lives for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Only when God's people, listen, this is the key right here. Only when God's people are truly living holy lives. And I would insert number one, sexual purity. Empowered by the Holy Spirit within them, will they be effective in fulfilling God's purpose for them in their generation to proclaim his gospel message of relationship and representation to every man, woman, and child in the places where they live. This is the type of church we want to be. Out there being priests, in a sense, to God, showing the lost world who God is. But if we are tangled up in sexual immorality, tangled up in in sin. We don't even have that light for ourselves. How can we give it to others? Church revival starts in the church. It starts in our own hearts. Let us repent where we need to repent and turn to God. Let us learn Christ together. Remember a few weeks back, Paul said, he's talking about living a, a, a good life. And he's like, that's not the way you learned Christ. Again, this gets so murky in the, in the church. It, it's like, we know we're saved by, by faith, justification by faith alone. But then somehow we draw from A to B, we think, okay, well, I don't, it doesn't matter what I do. And you can't read the Bible for five minutes and make sense of that. We are called to live holy lives. And when we do as a church, we will be a force for Christ. Amen. Amen. In the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we have a metaphorical Babylon. And all throughout the Bible, Babylon, it's a real place um, but it also represents human pride, sexual immorality, um, just oppression, all of that. So, so hear this. It's the end of Revelation. This is God talking to um, his people. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And I would just implore you, if you are in this, come out of it. You can't walk with him In sexual immorality, it doesn't work. You are darkening everything. Again, we live in a day and an age where churches are being just pulled into this by the culture and being forced to just, ah, it doesn't matter how we live here. Hasn't hasn't the world changed? Haven't we come far? We know that this is okay. The Bible was written in archaic times. No, 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 no. That's all garbage. Don't listen to those empty words. They're deceiving. Again, I I would just ask you, have you considered how strong the Bible is on this issue? Do you care? That's the question that I think separates what Paul is talking about here, between great and grace. Because if you don't care, I would be concerned for your soul. Christ is calling us out, church. There is something better. There is something better. And it's not you know, it's the same lie from the beginning. God is withholding. It's it's the garden. And oh, you you know, he doesn't want you to eat that, Eve, because if you eat it, then you will. And that same lie is, is right there with sexual temptation. Well, God doesn't want you to have that. But God doesn't want us to have that because it's not good for us. It's not good. All right, we're gonna... Gonna end here. Uh, Ephesians 5:14. i probably said that a little prematurely, so I'm not gonna end that. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Ephesians 5:14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, "Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you." Christian, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Paul's talking to Christians here. He's not talking about the the deadness that we had in Ephesians 2. He is saying, awake, O sleeper. In regards to all this impurity and sexual morality, wake up is what Paul is saying. Wake up. Wake up. You're sleeping. You're, You're lulling yourself to sleep. The more you press into sexual immorality, the more you will not hear God. His word won't make sense to you. Preaching won't matter. You'll be yawning during the sermon. The, the songs will be ah. Eh. There is a direct relation between our sin and our love for God. And we can dampen that love, or we can stir it up. Charles Spurgeon ha- has a fantastic quote uh, on this verse. As I was preparing for, for this sermon, he, he had a whole sermon on A Waco Sleeper, and, and I'd recommend it. You can find it online for free. But uh, this is what he says, and we have to remember this. So you, you, you may hear me getting excited, trying to be firm. You hear Paul's words, but in the end, this is all out of love. It's all love. Spurgeon, remember that Jesus speaks this in love. Has there ever been anything which has come either from his hand or his lips, which has not been in love? Oh, then believe that he would not have said awake if it were not the kindest thing he could possibly say to you. He loves you then. Though you and I love him so little, and go to sleep in his very presence. And it is his love which shows itself to you in the best possible way by that startling word, awake, awake, awake. Sometimes a mother's love lulls her child to sleep. But if there is a house on fire, the mother's love would take another expression and startle it from its slumbers. And Christ's love takes that turn when he says to you, awake, awake. Awake. Awake out of sexual immorality. Come out of it. There's something better. Wake up. Wake up. And again, the the objection that I want to deal with again is well, we're not not saved by what we do, and, and no. But Paul answers these objections in Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means how can we who died to sin still live in it? So again, back to the beginning of this, where Paul says these people who are doing these things will not inherit the kingdom. If you truly know the Lord, you're going to repent. And you're gonna follow him. But there is a possibility, if you don't care, that you don't know him. You haven't died to sin, you're still in your sins. And, you know, Paul tells us in in Philippians work out our salvation with fear. And trembling, and this is what I think he means. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be walking around so like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? But if we're walking in that kind of immorality, we should. We should ask ourselves, do I really know the Lord here? Do I care about what the Lord says, brothers and sisters? Please, I, I beg you, stop drinking from the polluted wells of immorality. You're not gaining anything by doing it. You're actually hurting yourselves. Do you want more of God? We have to awake from this slumber that's putting us to sleep. We have to wake up. We need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul doesn't just tell us to wake up here. He actually gives us a promise. And it's a beautiful promise And it's right in the text. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Turn from this sin, and you will see, experience more of Christ. I promise you, it's right there in the text. How does that look? Well, you'll have sweeter communion with the Lord. We all, if you know Jesus, you have union with Christ. You can't lose that. But what a believer can wax and wane on is communion. Just like if you're married and your spouse, there's going to be times where you feel very close and things are great, and at times where you feel distance. That is just like our relationship with the Lord. When you are in sin outright sin of a sexual nature, I promise you, you are putting a gap between you and the Lord. You are hurting your communion. So when we repent, you will have a sweet communion with Jesus. You will have peace in a way that you don't have now. You'll have a clean conscience and a pure heart. You will be a faithful witness to the Lord. He will shine light upon his word. You will see things in his word that you did not see before. And best of all, you will have joy in Christ. Joy in Christ. Church, let's not be a church asleep. There are plenty of sleeping churches. I want to even, as a church, challenge us to be even more than a hospital for the sick, though we are a place where people can come and bind up wounds. Praise God we should be, but let us be a barracks for soldiers. Where we come in, receive commands, strengthen, and go out Monday through Saturday as soldiers. Soldiers. And if you're caught up in sexual immorality, you're not a soldier. You're not a soldier in any way. Paul talks a little bit about this, and we're gonna, this is going to lead us into communion. So as we begin to go into communion, just get, get your heart right. Take, take time to repent. Again, there's grace. Wherever you are, there, there's grace here. God is good. His blood is shed for you. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, so we've read this. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And here is what I want us to focus on here. Well, oh, actually, in a, in a minute. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And here, here it is Church, if you know Christ, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. I don't like the word free grace. I've heard it and I understand why it's used, but there was nothing free about the grace that that you and I have if you know Jesus. There was nothing free. You were bought with a price and oh, the cost of that beyond the cost of anything we can imagine. So I just want at this point for us to to, to reflect. Um, Come on up to the table and grab some bread and juice. And as you approach the table, just take time to think and, and repent where you need to repent. And, and, and again, we're all in different places here. But think about your own heart, your own life. Where is the Lord being clear to you? Where have you been ignoring him? So come on up, church, and, and partake, and we'll, we'll eat and drink together. Maybe you need time to think about where you have not glorified God with your body. Maybe it's in your mind, your thoughts. Maybe you just need to reflect on the cost of what it costs to bring you into the kingdom. Maybe You just need to sit back and praise God that he's delivered you from these things. The scriptures say, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Brothers and sisters, we we heard God's voice through his word today. And God's word will either harden hearts or it will soften hearts. Do not harden your heart. Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us hearts of flesh. Remove the hardness in our hearts in this area. Help us to approach you with reverence and awe. on that night where Jesus paid that price, the ultimate price. He said these things. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take it, take, eat, this is my body. Church, let us eat together and remember the price. his body was given for you. At the end of the meal, it says, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, let's drink together. Heavenly Father, we. We thank you for your word and and especially the strong parts of your word, Lord, where we need to hear it, that that you speak it in love. You are not harsh. So Lord, as we absorb that or the truth that, that we heard today, just help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to see your grace and your mercy and your love in all of it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.